Arf, Pup Ikis here with The Dog Dish, a podcast all about puppy play and the humans behind the hoods. This episode is all about collars, what they mean, how they work, and why people wear them. In conversations with folks in and out of the puppy community, I heard curiosity from all sides regarding how other people use collars. Pups have their norms and expectations, as much as anything could be called normal for puppies, and folks in the broader BDSM community wanted to know whether what they think is normal applies in puppy spaces. As something that probably surprises absolutely no one, collars in the human puppy community occupy an intermediate space between the collars used by canines and the collars humans use with each other. That in-between space means we borrow a little from each of those two other scenarios to create something uniquely suited for the needs of pet play. That means, of course, that collars are never simple and straightforward. But if you want something fundamental to keep in mind to help you wrap your head around a collar, see what I did there? The interviews you're about to hear revolve around two basic and easy-to-remember themes. The first theme of this show is important. Collars symbolize a relationship. They represent the relationships between people, between the wearer and the surrounding community, between the history of collars in BDSM kink and their current uses today, and between the meanings outwardly expressed and inwardly understood. With all this tug-of-war going on, it should be no surprise that collars don't always mean the same thing to everyone. What this episode cannot and will not do, and what it has taught me should never be done, is to identify one clear and absolute meaning, protocol, or ritual behind all collars. Every relationship, every person, and every physical item means something different to everyone involved. Many times, the physical item represents a rich and meaningful history that's very personal to the wearer. If you want another easy-to-remember rule of thumb about collars, it's theme number two of this episode. Collars signify stories, and the potential for conversation. Anything beyond those two things, they symbolize a relationship and they signify stories, anything beyond that would be presumptuous. It would involve applying an outside frame of reference onto another person's inner situation or experience, and that can easily lead to incorrect assumptions. For this episode, I spoke with folks both inside and outside the puppy community to take a broader view of how collars work in various situations. Having these conversations, I was struck by the level of curiosity I found for folks wondering how those other people do that collaring thing. Let's see whether we can sniff out some details and learn how collars work in puppy and BDSM communities. I'll talk about differences later, and I'll end with an interesting warning I've heard come up several times when talking in both communities. But first, let's start off with some shared values. Shared value number one. Collars are symbols. The physical collar itself holds meaning only because it represents something else. That something else, whatever it is, is important. The collar alone is not. To help make sense of this, I spoke with a bunch of folks from the Tampa Bay area. Now, don't worry, I'll mix up the geography soon. But but first, here's Sir Gethin. The collar is a symbol of commitment. Any symbol of such commitment only holds the intrinsic value that those inside the relationship give to it. So it could be a paperclip or a glass marble. 
and the meaning behind the color, in air quotes, would be as strong if all of the involved parties held true to that given value. A similar sentiment comes from Sir to Some. For me, the collar itself, I, I could put a bubblegum wrapper on her finger, <laughs> and that could be a collar. The collar itself has no physical affirmation for me. It is the connection that I have with her in the relationship that we have with the power exchange and everything else that we do above and beyond the lifestyle. Usually, a collar represents a relationship or a commitment. In the human BDSM community, I heard a lot of people equate collars to wedding bands in the vanilla world. For instance, here's Mama Ember. A collar for me is really just a symbol of my commitment to daddy that I have promised to him. It's just an outward symbol, similar to my wedding ring. And KCD. The collar I wear is a symbol of my commitment and service to my sir. It is his collar that he offered to me. It also has a charm on it with angel wings with the end of a bullet casing hanging from it because sir and I teach firearm safety. It's also a reminder that I have someone to stand with me. When I was first given my collar, we had a large ceremony with friends. We exchanged vows. I knelt before him where he asked me if I would accept his collar. Of course I said yes. And Kathleen, submissive of Sir to Some. For him, it's more important than a marriage vow, which is why he took his time, and I'm blessed that he chose to put it on my neck. <laughs> because it was it, for him, it's always been a very serious lifetime commitment. That variation, the fact that a collar can mean different things to different people in different circumstances, highlights the importance of asking questions. Here's Boyd Dax to explain. You know, I know every dynamic's different. There are some alphas and dominants who are like, you know, you go do whatever, you know, but the collar's there for your protection. And there's others who are like, I don't want anybody talking to you. I don't want anybody touching you. I don't want anybody in your space. If they want to do any of that, they need to come to me and get my clearance. There are some people, their collar is a mark of subservience. Their collar is a mark of, you know, they belong to somebody, they are property. And there are people that their collar is a symbol of strength, a symbol of hope, a symbol of belonging in a, in, in a way that allows them to let go of their fears, let go of their failings, and grow. And that sounds like something I heard from KCD. Being collared and wearing one is a visible symbol of my sir's ownership of me as his property, his girl, his submissive, his wife. It's also significant in events where people are aware and respect the collar as a symbol. The whole don't touch what is not yours rule, people know that I belong to someone and know I'm off limits. And finally, here's Mickey Ray. Lots of people view collars in the DS or MS communities as, you know, a symbol of ownership, uh, kinky wedding rings. I mean, there, there's all kinds of symbology uh, for, for me and my past experiences. Uh, we focus on that connection. We focus on what is this meaning to us and how are we feeling as we're engaging in the ritual. And we both find that very reinforcing. Um, we don't need reminders of our dynamic, yet that daily touch, that daily kind of mutual shared understanding of this is where we are and this is what we are from one another, even outside of our marriage, even outside of our friendship, um, 
it feeds both of us on a, on a very fundamental level. It reminds us that there's a reason why we're not vanilla, and it reminds us that there's a reason why this connection exists between the two of us um, uniquely, not simply out in nature. It's not a label or an expectation of anyone else's that we're adopting. It's absolutely something that, that we have crafted for ourselves with the same mechanism that others tend to use. Let me shift gears here for a second and highlight a difference. Unlike in the human world, in the puppy community, you'll often see a twist on the relationship idea. Self-collared pups. These pups generally wear collars to help form, assert, show, or ground their senses of identity. Pup Sins from Chicago is a case in point. You know, I talk about how my collar is for myself, but also it's where I keep my dog tag that is the membership for the Chicago Puppy Patrol. And my story with the CPP is kind of an interesting one because I was first exposed to pups in general in March of 2019. I joined the club in April, and then by July I was on the board. So I had less than a four-month turnaround from knowing that pup play existed to being on the board of one of the bigger and older ones, you know, I, I sometimes I will joke that I'm I'm colored to the community or I'm colored to um, the city just because I see, at least for now, that side of me is so closely tied to a service role that expands beyond any singular personal relationship. It's really about being there for the collective needs of not just a city but a whole region and trying to make that the best that I can for those people and also to maybe to set an example, hopefully, for um, people in other places to fit their own needs. And so there is, as much as personal, it's also very much communal in a way. And in my case, the only collar I have is in essence ceremonial, given to me as an award. It's the IPTC Best in Show 2018 award, the last of its kind, unfortunately. I, I see that collar as symbolic of the relationship between me and the international puppy community, rather than any specific individual. If I wear it, I do so to represent the affiliation I feel toward the broader community, helping me remember my place within something bigger. So we've talked a lot about how collars symbolize something else, particularly for the people who put them on. What then might collars mean to others outside that relationship? That brings us to shared value number two. Collars are signals, especially if they're locked. While the specific personal meaning of a collar is determined by the individual wearing it or the people in that person's relationship, they are an outward symbol to those with enough background knowledge to read and understand the codes. Because the style and significance of collars can vary so greatly though, if you recognize a code, don't trust that you understand its meaning. A collar doesn't necessarily indicate a submissive, for instance, though that might be the first conclusion you draw. Here's Boy Dax again on what a collar can mean. It's an individual one-on-one -on -one thing, and honestly, the, the biggest way to handle it is one of the things that I've always been a huge advocate of. And it sounds cheesy and it sounds simplistic, but it's always been effective. Ask. You know, it, it will walk up to say, if you see... if. You see a collar on somebody, oh, I see you're collared. What does that mean for you? There, there are some people who will happily tell you, oh, I'm self-collared. I do, I do it for this. I do it for this. There's even those out there, oh, I do it because it looks cute. 
And there's others who are like, I'm a collared submissive. I'm a collared puppy. You know, there's my alpha. There's my sir. There's my ma'am. Please talk to them. Because if their dynamic is the boy shouldn't be talked to or the puppy shouldn't be talked to, they're usually told, if somebody approaches, send them my way. So it, it comes down to communication. The closest we get to an exception to this rule of you don't know until you ask is when the collar has a lock on it. That nearly universally signals that the person wearing the collar is under the watch, care, or protection of someone else. They are someone else's property, essentially. If someone is wearing a collar with a lock on it, that typically means someone else calls the shots for interactions or for play. <laughs> However, <laughs> puppies. Demonstrating how puppies can break any rules were given, Pup Sage from Toronto explains why, even when he was self-collared, he still put a lock on it. And no, it wasn't specifically to confuse you. That just happens to be a fun side effect. Um, so my collar in particular, um, and my lock, uh, so within the BDSM community, it is, as far as I've been aware, it is generally seen as this person's taken when they have a lock, like they have a dom or a sir or a partner, they're off limits. Um, unless you speak to their dom, sir or partner first. Um, so I use it as that, uh, when I'm out in the bars, uh, like when I go to the Eagle, um, I've actually had people like come up to me and like start chatting with me. And then they notice that I have a collar with a lock on it and they're, approach to me changes entirely. Uh, it becomes more of a social friendly, just like chit chatting rather than a, Hey, like I, I kind of want some of this from you. Um, so I use it as that when I'm out and about. Um, so I have social anxiety. Um, so, and like public sexual encounters freak me out when they include me. <laughs> um, so I use it as a deterrent at places like the Eagle so that people don't start that kind of interaction with me. And another thing I've noticed, um, usually with the younger crowd, so like under, I want to say under 30, but even younger than that, like 25 and under, is that these younger folks that are out at the bars will have a, a, a necklace with a lock on it but they don't know what the lock means. They use the lock even as a fashion accessory. So yeah, like if you see like what you assume to be a collar and or a lock, like there's, there's some questions that should be involved. Yeah. Pup Finn from Essex shares a similar explanation for why he often self collars with a lock. The reason why I wear a collar is more for security, mental health. It helps me feel secure. Um, I have my tag on there, obviously. Um, it is my own tag. It's, it's a form of self ownership, self security. So when I'm out in, at an event, um, people do tend to respect it a bit more, uh, than if you don't have a collar on. Putting it on and closing the lock, it's kind of affirming to myself that yes, I'll be going out. Like if I wear it underneath my human clothes, um, that yes, that part of me is still there. It's a security blanket. I have my normal self, which like most people riddled with anxiety, social anxiety, but I have this 
security blanket, this persona that I can know that's behind me, supporting me, helping me through almost. So it's clear that some aspects of collars are intended to communicate meaning, in particular the need to keep unwanted advances at bay. But reading too much meaning into a collar is a slippery slope I recommend avoiding. That's because of shared value number three. Collars are steeped in, but not defined by, history. There's a balance to be struck here. On the one hand, collars have been used for a very long time with common, but not universal or guaranteed, meanings behind them. As Sir Gethin explains, I am increasingly disappointed by the amount of people around the kink and fetish scene that do not take time to learn the history of the things they are doing. Yes, boys and girls, and masters and mistresses, there is a history to what it is that we do. I like to think that by keeping my own style and path, by honoring the traditional and honoring the historical factors, that I am contributing to keeping the BDSM lifestyle alive and vital. Pup Sins agrees, explaining how many outward symbols gain their basic meaning because of a broader cultural agreement. Think about the, the hanky code used in gay male communities, most prominently a few decades ago, though still in use today in certain settings. A colored handkerchief reflects an interest or a role because the community itself has come together to agree that this cultural group associates that color with that specific meaning. The usage and the definition of them has expanded over time as we've gone into more things like pet play, more things like, um, you know, as we've explored what different dynamics could look like, as we've introduced things like drone play or, you know, any other number of newer or at least newly more popularized um, dynamics in the kink scene. I think that colors are a way to signify either a relationship or a role, but I think that the way that that manifests itself now is understood much more broadly and requires conversation. It's a conversation starter in queer communities because it has to be because it's no longer giving you all of the answers. It's knowing that there's something here and now you have to take it upon yourself to make that to, to ask that question. And, you know, we have that conversation with kinkies all the time where, like, if you're in the dark room of a bar, you do not want to pull out the flashlight, you do not want to play the guessing game of what this person might be into. You see the hanky, you have a vague idea, but that is a conversation starter, and the presence of that item lets you know that the conversation is there to be had. And I see cars being very much, in recent years, the same way. Being aware of that history allows collar wearers to understand the tradition they are becoming a part of, and to know whether their particular use of a collar leans more traditional or more atypical. But take that too far, and people start to think of collars in terms of right and wrong ways to use them, which starts to lose sight of the relational aspect. As Mickey explains, relying too heavily on history, can set an unreasonably high expectation that's not personal. And I always think there's a huge amount of risk in power dynamics when your expectations of and your standards aren't set by an actual individual, but set by a tradition or a common understanding of what is. To reiterate there, a collar does not represent some universal or absolute meaning. 
A collar reflects something about the individual using the collar, plain and simple. And that leads to what is perhaps the most important point, shared value number four. Collars express part of someone's identity, and then they become part of someone's identity. From the puppy side of things, as usual, there's a ton of variability. But Pup Preza from Christchurch provides a typical perspective when he says his collar provides a sense of strength and self-confidence. Initially, I thought collaring was very important to define roles. I've grown over time to realize that that's not correct at all. You can be what you want, when you want, and not have to comply with anybody's expectations of you, and that includes collaring. To me, my collar represents another side of me. So while wearing it, I feel like a pup. While not wearing it, not so much. That kind of comfort can take time to grow into, with the collar coming to represent the wearer's growth and development, as Boy Dax explains. For the longest time, I actually felt like an outsider. I didn't really necessarily feel welcome. And, you know, I, I knew puppies, but, you know, I wasn't, I didn't necessarily feel like I was part of the puppy community. And it wasn't until moving to Florida and meeting the man who would become my sir that, you know, I felt like I had a place. And, you know, I, we've been together now for 15 years. It's taken a long time, but our, you know, our relationship and our dynamic has grown and evolved and strengthened and it got to the point finally where three years ago, he offered me a permanent collar. And I, I've grown since then. I've grown because of my connection to him. I've also grown because the collar gave me a place to finally be who I want to be. And when people devote that much time, effort, and personal change into an item they wear, it becomes inseparable, as they are for Mama Ember and Boy Dax. My path has changed and grown over the last couple years, so I no longer consider myself a submissive or that my collar is a symbol of submission. I have been moving towards a more equally dominant role in our house. I have had people in the community tell me that I should take it off. Uh, if I'm transitioning, just because to others it's this outward symbol that I'm a submissive. I don't agree with that, so I've chosen to continue to wear it, mostly for three real reasons. The first is basically, um, it's not my problem what other people are making assumptions about, if they see it as a submissive collar or not. And I do so love when the look on their faces when they make the mistake of treating me like one. And though I don't really consider myself a submissive, I do still to choose to honor the commitment of being in service to daddy. So I continue to wear it as a symbol of my commitment to him. But the primary reason I keep wearing it is more, is it's a part of me. I feel incomplete if I don't wear it. It's for me just like not wearing my wedding ring. I couldn't imagine not having it on every day. Yeah, it, it's it, it, if it's off for any length of time, I I, I feel out of sorts, and it's just because it, it's 
I, it's part of my definition of self. As someone becomes comfortable with their caller's presence, they come to expect its presence, seeing it as a routine component of their identity. The caller becomes part of who they are and who they see themselves as. That integration with self is important to keep in mind when in situations where you might be curious about a design or material used in a collar, or when you see a collar unattached from its owner. Like we said before, they're just objects devoid of special meaning on their own, but to someone it might mean the world. So after all this, you've probably reached the conclusion that collars are serious business, not to be taken lightly or tossed around willy-nilly. I'll be honest with you, I wish I'd made this episode, or at least done my homework, about five years ago. See, a while back, I myself once collared a puppy. I wasn't ready for the seriousness that symbol involves, and I didn't fully appreciate the weight of what the act of collaring suggested. I wasn't able to provide the support that pup needed at the time, and my putting a collar on him indicated a responsibility I was not ready to fulfill. A few months after I gave him the collar, the pup called me out for it and returned the collar to me, letting me know I hadn't lived up to my end of the bargain. I am so proud of that pup for what he did there, and I still have that collar in my curio cabinet, reminding me both of the pup I still care deeply about, and also of the seriousness of the obligations I didn't fully understand, appreciate, or fulfill. And that brings me to the warning I mentioned near the top of the show. In casual conversations with folks in the puppy community, I've heard the concept of puppy collectors many times. These are handlers or self-proclaimed alphas who work within the community to build their family or pack of pups as a symbol of their control, authority, magnanimity, influence, popularity, or some such. The danger is that individual pups being collected like this don't receive the support they need to grow and flourish as humans, as kinksters, or as members of the broader community. These self-serving puppy collectors amass pups for the collector's benefit and at the puppy's expense. If you're considering accepting a collar or joining a pack, ask around first to make sure the alpha or handler will have your best interests in mind. Echoing the concerns about puppy collectors, during the conversations I had for this episode with folks outside the puppy community, three of them mentioned Velcro collars. Velcro collars. Velcro collars. Velcro collars. Sir to some from St. Petersburg explains the concept really well. Now, I, I use the term Velcro collar not as a, as a negative connotation, but as someone that um, is very, very flippant. You know, they're the serial monogamous type relationship where they always have to be in a relationship and they always have to show that they're in a relationship, whether it's working or not. With both puppy collectors and Velcro collars, the person being collared is at risk of being underappreciated, undervalued, underdeveloped, ignored, or kicked to the curb when the dom, master, handler, alpha, whatever, decides it's time to trade up for a newer model. It's hurtful, harmful, and unhealthy, and it can be hard to detect before it's too late. Those of us already established within our respective communities have an obligation to help newcomers learn what's involved with callers before they get themselves into a harmful or toxic relationship. If you are a familiar face in the world of kink, 
please strike up conversations within your local community about what you can collectively do to prevent predatory collaring from ruining reputations, situations, relationships, or worse. If you're new to the community, please look out for yourself and ask around before entering into a collared relationship with someone. You owe yourself at least that much. But for everyone, new or not, collared or not, puppy or not, on either side of the slash, just remember the two basic rules of collars. One, they symbolize a relationship, and two, they signify stories. Next time you see someone wearing a collar, strike up a conversation. You might be surprised what you may learn. Thanks for listening to The Dog Dish, and special thanks to all my interview guests who contributed their time, perspectives, and insights to create this episode. I'm Pup Prisa from Christchurch, New Zealand. Little Mama Ember from Dunedin, Florida. Sir Gethin from Bradenton, Florida. Pup Finn from Crowley West, Sussex. KCD from Pinellas Park, Florida. We also heard from Boy Dax. Hello. Mickey Ray. Hello. Pup Sage. Hello. Pup Sins. Hello. Sir to some. Hey, how you doing? And his submissive, Kathleen Sows. Hello. Thanks also to each of my guests for their exceptional patience, considering I sat on these recordings for an entire year before editing them together. FYI, depression sucks, y'all. Oh, and speaking of which, our next episode will be about mental health and pet play. We'll look at mental health challenges that creep up frequently within this community, and we'll talk about pet play as therapy versus pet play as therapy avoidance. Hmm. It will probably be the most serious episode yet, so I'll need to think of something totally silly afterward to help bounce back. Oh, I know. Let's talk about handlers. They're silly, right? Yeah, totally. Cool. All right, so that's set. Oh, and one more thing. I'm committed to making the dog dish accessible to everyone. I've made sure the show's website works with screen readers for folks with vision difficulty, and I get each episode's audio transcribed for those who can't easily hear them. A very, very special thank you to MPH Stenography for his pro bono help on this episode's transcription. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy these conversations and want to keep them coming, If episodes like these help you feel connected in times of isolation, please help support the show's production. Imagine if you and I had these chats in a bar and you'd say, let me buy you a drink. Consider sending that along to make sure everyone everywhere can benefit from these discussions. Just follow the Become a Patron link at dogdishshow.com or go to dogdishshow.com slash donate. Thanks for helping out. In the meantime, go train your favorite podcast player to fetch so you'll hear the next episode once it's released. Or you can visit dogdishshow.com for all episodes, for more information about the show, and to get in touch. But until then, you stay. Stay tuned for more, that is. Bye.